Uh, last week we started in on uh, we started in Colossians, uh, great uh, book, short short book, four chapters long, uh, one of Paul's prison letters. Uh, he had never personally visited Colossae, remember, uh, but he indirectly uh, was a part of launching this church, and you remember the story uh, that he was uh, he had a great ministry in Ephesus. And two people specifically he mentions in this book that came to Christ, uh, Epaphras and Philemon. And as they grew up in the Lord, uh, Paul said, all right, Epaphras, it's time for you to go home. And he went back to Colossae and began to, 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 be, to start this church. And it sprouted and it grew. And Paul, at the beginning of this, in the first uh, five or six, eight verses, he, he, he says how it's growing not only in that town, but the gospel is, is going everywhere. It's going all throughout the world. So in verses 1 through 14, we were in last week, we noticed Paul uh, remind them, hey, we're so thankful for you. We pray for you often. Uh, he talked about the gospel. He talked about the power of grace. And he loved the church in, in Colossae. But Paul also wrote this letter uh, to challenge and to refute some of the errors that they had theologically. Uh, in this particular uh, area, at this era in time, uh, there was Gnosticism was rampant, uh, mysticism, just people with visions and dreams of, of, of just all kinds of weird things. And they were putting these philosophical systems and all of their theories, they were putting them in the big bucket of Christianity with Jesus, stirring it up, and out came their own version of, of this is what it means to be a God-fearing man or woman. And Paul challenges them in this area specifically and says, no, 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 it's Jesus plus it's Jesus plus nothing. And they were adding to the Jesus story. And Paul comes along and begins to challenge them. And one of their big issues that they had going on is it was a group of people that would depreciate the value of Jesus in their lives. And that's why this, there's so much in this book about the supremacy of Christ and understanding that he's sufficient. He's all-inspiring. But Paul begins to challenge this group of people to understand, man, Christ is supreme he reigns and He rules and He should be number one. They were depreciating Christ. Now most of us today, we don't verbally depreciate Christ with, with our words, right? Uh, sometimes even with our, with, our, with our actions. But there are times, right? We walk through this life and Christ is depreciated by the way we live our lives. That we believe Jesus really exists uh, uh, and that and He's out there, but we live our lives in such a way uh, that people would look at it and say, well, I'm not sure they are, you know, Jesus followers. So it's rampant today, and it was rampant during this time as well. So Paul comes out of the gates talking about grace, talking about the gospel in verses 1 through 14, and then in verses 15 through 23 is where we'll spend most of our time today. We'll try to finish it. If not, we're moving on to chapter 2 next week, and you can read it and figure it out on your own, all right? But in this particular spot, he begins to, to lay, the, lay the foundation to, to make very, very clear who Jesus is. Talks about the deity of Christ. He wants them to understand who Jesus is, what he's about, the big Christian term of Christology, right? Uh, it, it's, it's the understanding of the, of the personhood, the role and the nature of Jesus Christ. And Paul unpacks that beautifully in verses 15 through 23. So we'll read it and listen to how he describes Jesus and think in your own mind, if somebody came up to you and said, would you just describe, tell me some attributes of Jesus. Who is this man? What is he about? What would you say? Well, listen to Paul's description. 
He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There's that word. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. You're included in the all things part, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's the gospel again. Once you were alienated, he says this was once your condition, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation. You can be in right standing with God because of what Jesus did for you, Paul says. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held in the gospel, this gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to you, uh, to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul says all this stuff about Jesus, he's the reason, the gospel is the reason, I've given my life to this thing, and I am a servant to Jesus Christ and to this gospel getting out to the world. So he says in verse 15, there's a ton packed in these eight verses. I mean, we could spend multiple weeks on just each verse. Verse 15, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So what's Paul telling this group uh, in Colossians? He's saying, Jesus is God revealed to you. Uh, Jesus is God in flesh. It is, it is all the fullness of God, the almighty, all-powerful God can be found, can be seen, can be looked at in the life of Jesus Christ, that he has come to this earth to show you and tell you some things about what God is all about, that, that Jesus Christ truly he stepped out of heaven so that we could see a picture of Jesus. And not only does Jesus reflect who God is, he is the fullness of God. And what he does, as you read about Jesus in the New Testament, he helps you understand God. And that's what Paul wanted this group to know about Jesus. They're depreciating Jesus. And Paul's saying, no, 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 let's raise him back up to the place he should be, reigning supreme over all and through all. He says he's the image of the invisible God. So what's that mean? Paul's telling the Colossian church, when you think of God, I know you've got a bunch of weird thoughts about what God is, who he is, and what he looks like, and some attributes of God. But when you think about who God is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think Jesus. When you think about and wondering about and you're not sure about what is this whole thing about God, I want you to go back to Jesus. He is the image of this invisible God that you cannot see, of which Paul says, I've experienced Jesus, I understand Jesus, everything I know about God has been learned and been found in the life of Jesus. Paul says he reigns supreme over over, overall, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the earthly representation of who God is, of the almighty, of the almighty God. Imagine this church in Colossae now getting a picture 
of who God is, maybe for the first time for some, because they've had all kinds of weird theology about who God was and what He was about. And now they're getting a picture of, of who God is through the life of Jesus Christ. And many of them, their lives are being changed because of it. They're starting to understand God in a way that they never understood God before. And I don't know about you, but when you look at the life of Jesus, and many of you have been following Him for a pretty long time, I like what I see. Anybody else? I mean, it is incredible stuff that when you look at Jesus' life, that he's, he's full of grace, He's full of truth, He's full of love, He's full of mercy. He has our best interest. He, he teaches us what it means to be a, to be a servant. So the people of Colossae, when they're looking to God now, they're understanding, man, God's not just this guy that's up in heaven just ticked at us. He's not somebody that's temperamental or judgmental or angry, but maybe this new picture that they're seeing of God through Jesus is that he's gracious and he's kind and he's loving. And he extends grace to me over and over and over again and mercy to me over and over and over again. And when you're going through some of the worst of the worst times that, man, we must serve a God that's ever close during that time because Jesus is that person. They begin to get a picture of Jesus like they never have before. And if we were to ask you today, as I did about, if you were to say somebody from outside the faith and you're, you just had to start describing what you see when you think of Jesus, I mean, I feel like it would be, it'd probably be good, but it would be all over the map in this room of who you would say, depending on how you grew up, how somebody told you about God, a picture you saw, a lesson you heard, you know, or learned. Uh, it would be all over the map. But Paul is saying, you want to know who, what God's about and who he is? You want to know the fullness of who he is? Man, think Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's available. He's a God that's acceptable. He's personal. And he loves you with everything in him. So Paul is just, he's changing the game for these people in Colossae that were mixing together all these weird theories and, and philosophical systems with Jesus. And he said, no, 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 it's Jesus. It's Jesus alone. He's the image of the invisible God. And then Paul goes on in verse 16 and beyond, and he, he paints the most glorious picture of the godness of Jesus and who he is. And we're going we're gonna to look at each one of these verses just for a moment, and I wish we could spend more time. But one of the things with Colossians 1, many, many uh, theologians or people that know a whole lot more about the Bible than me uh, would say that Colossians 1, this section that we're going to read, uh, was actually a poem or a song or, or like liturgy that this church these people would have known and either sang or recited often. Paul wrote some, a few verses. He had some poetry in him, if you read a few of his, a few of his verses throughout the New Testament. But, but Paul, they said, was pointing towards something that they already had in their mind. And here's what he says with this song that they would have sang or this poem they would have recited when understanding Jesus' divinity. In verses 1 through verse 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. And then he says, The firstborn... Over all creation. What does that mean? It means that He is supreme over all creation. He is the firstborn. He has all the authority. He has priority. He is the supreme being. How many of uh, you in here are firstborns? Anybody? Raise your hand. How many of you, your hands are still up if you're the bossy firstborn in your family, right? If you were a firstborn in biblical times, um, they would have been the one that received the uh, if you're younger, like you're second, you're, you're out of luck. They would have received the full inheritance from mom and dad, or probably from dad. They would have gotten it all, right? Uh, they would have gotten the honor. Uh, they would have been not only the executor of the estate, 
uh, but they would have gotten the honor. They would have gotten literally everything would have came their way. And Paul paints a picture of Jesus of being, of being the firstborn. He reigns supreme. He is the one that gets all the authority. He's the one that gets all uh, 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 of the rights and honor to be the firstborn. What's Jesus say about it in Matthew 28? You know the Great Commission. You've heard it. Then Jesus came to them and said, and he said, all what? Authority has been given unto me. Therefore, you need to hightail it out of here. You need to go. Go make disciples all over the place. Go make disciples all over the world. Jesus had all authority, all priority. He was not just this created being. Jesus was the creator. He didn't come from dust. He was before anything. Jesus was that man. And for this group, they were hearing this for the first time, and, and, and they, 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 they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. It goes on in, in, in verse 16. And, and Paul wanted these Colossians to get this. They wanted, he wanted to put Jesus in the right spot. Why? Because there was all kinds of false teaching and heresy. And if they didn't get this, they would have easily been, like their foundation would have been eroded like that. So Paul says, first things first, let's get Jesus right, and then we'll move on. And that's what he's doing. And then in verse 16, it says, for in him, he talks about Jesus being the creator. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Jesus wasn't, well, man blew it, so let's create a being so that he can go. So Jesus was here before anything. And the, 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 the people, the false teachers during this time, they couldn't figure this out. They, could, they were wrestling with it. Why? Because they would believe any God, there's no good God, there's no perfect God that could create physical things because all physical things are evil. The only good thing a, a good God could create and like chaperone and lead over would be the spiritual realm. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Let me, let me set the record straight with you all. Everything in heaven and earth was created by Christ. Things we can see and things we can't see. And then he says, all things have been created through him. And all things have been created, this is even better news for you and I, for him. And it points you back to the beginning of the Gospel of John. Anybody read the beginning of the Gospel of John? In the beginning, the, the word, and he says this, in the beginning, switch that word out word with Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been Made And John makes it clear, and Paul makes it clear in Colossians, that this guy named Jesus, the Savior of the universe, all things were created for him, and all things were created by him. To which the Colossian believers even would have been like, this is, this is enlightening. We, we, didn't fully, we didn't fully grasp this. He didn't exist until he was born, you know, and then saw fit that we're going to bring Jesus in. He was always there. He was not part of creation. He's the creator, right? He's not an angel. He created the angels, Paul would say. That's who Jesus is. We were created by him and for him. And let me tell you, that by him and for him should like get you excited. The idea that you were created by Jesus, by God. The idea that you were created not only by but for, you know what that does for you and I? gives us purpose. It makes us know that we're a part of a plan. 
We're not a part of some radical cosmic accident where we float through life and think, well, what do we do next, you know? No, we were a part of a plan from the beginning. We have a purpose for our lives, that God has a plan for our lives. We were created for something, right? When you're created for something, you're created to do something. And Paul's letting this group know, man, he not only created you, but he created you for a purpose. And he created you for something. I want you to hear this. Not only were you created by him and for him, but he actually wants you. We don't often think of God as somebody that just really wants us. Somebody that really wants to be in relationship with, it, with, with us. It's hard for us to wrap our head around that this creator of all things would look at you and I. We're like a speck in history. The Bible says we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. We're like a mist. We're like a vapor, right? And he would look at you and I in the eye and he would say, you are worth something to me. You know what it should do for every single one of us? You walk out these doors this week, there are people hopeless within elbow room of you every single day. For you to be able to look at them and let them know, you know what, you're not only valuable to me, you're valuable to God. I know you think you're in a season and you're alone and nobody cares about you and, there, and nobody really has interest in what's going on with you. Let me remind you, you were created for and by someone that cares for you immensely. And it should be a game changer as we communicate the love of God with people to understand, church, that you were created by Him and for Him, Paul says, look out. The gospel's so valuable that you were created by Him and for Him. It's important for us, church, to know that. To know that there's an intended purpose for our life. But here's the other side of that. When we live outside of His intended purpose for our life, you've all been there. Where does it lead? It leads to bad places. Leads to poor choices, right? Leads to destruction. Leads to brokenness. It leads to broken relationships. And we step outside the bounds of what God intended us to be and to do. It leads to some tough times. I followed David Crowder on Instagram and he always posts just some of the most ridiculous, like it's never music. It's always something ridiculous that he found and heard about. And the, most of the stories he, he, he puts on and, and he puts pictures up he says his hashtag is these are my people because they do the most stupid things and they're still alive. And he's happy about that. But I want you to see these pictures and spiritually thinking we are no different than what these pictures are. You can pop them up on the screen. Th using it for its unintended purpose. An air conditioner in a van heading down the window. Well, it's in the window there. The next one. Oh, man. Unintended purpose. Your car was never made for that. You leave Ikea and everybody leaves like that. The next one will be up. Um, he's going to bowl with a, I think it's a hockey stick. You can see where that's going to end up going. Um, a boat driving down the road he had on there. And then uh, a tire that he's hoping that'll last, I guess. I don't know what they're doing with that. Put a couple straps on, you're good. And then the last one's great. Uh, just get the hot tub rolling with a fire right beside it. Put the hoops up to it. All of you have had stuff at home. When you use a tool or an object for its unintended purposes, how many men in here have started a project and you just grabbed the closest tool and it was the wrong tool and you ended up blowing it? Because when we step outside things unintended purpose, we mess it up. Spiritually speaking, there's pictures we look and think, those people are so, why would they do that? Spiritually speaking, we do the same thing a lot. We drive down the road with our tire tied up with like a little 
ropes and buoys to, to make it happen. We'd create a hot tub with a fire right beside it, spiritually speaking. And we live life in various ways outside of God's unintended purpose. And it leads to brokenness, hurt, and to pain. And Paul's letting us know, man, if you stick within the bounds, you were created not only by Him and for Him, and He's got a plan. And if you'll stick to that plan, man, good things will come your way. And if you settle for anything less, it's going to break. How many of you have had moments in life where it's just been just brokenness? You made a choice and you just, you're just you just broken. You wish you never would have. And this is why our theology is so important because what we think and how we understand who Jesus is will directly result in our behavior out. And Paul wanted this church to know, put Jesus first, put Him in His rightful, supreme place, and I believe things will fall into place. What's Jesus say about understanding truth in John 8, verse 31 and 32? It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. If we abide in his word, if we stick close to him, and what will the truth do? You've all heard this one. The truth will set you free. Man, what we, what we think and what we believe is so, is so important, but here's what we'll do. We'll say, well, I know best. I don't need to hear that right now. I can handle it on my own. Oh, that'll be good for you, but it's not good for me. And what we're doing is we're just simply saying, God, I'm right, right? And you're not. And it leads to tough, tough spots. Verse 17, he goes on. These last few are so powerful, we have to share them quick. He says, he is before all things, and in him all things are held Together, what does this mean? It means that Christ is the sustainer of all things in our life. That He is Lord over all. He is Lord through all. He is Lord in all. He is the sustainer in our life. So we don't get to pick and choose which things He's in and which things He's out. He is Lord over what? Over all. He is Lord over absolutely everything. And when we think about the magnitude of that statement that, that we serve a God, that, that in Christ all things are held Together, if we really believe that, what on earth would you fear? What on earth would you go through every single day worrying about if you knew you served a God that was holding all things together? What would you be anxious about? What would you stay up at night staring at your ceiling in your bedroom about if you knew you served a God that could be trusted and that was holding all things together? What would you worry about that's about to break loose in your life right now? Maybe you're in the midst of a mess in the midst of a tough time, if this scripture is true, and I believe it is, we serve a God that is holding all things together. Rest in that. Trust in that. Believe, believe in that. And Paul, Paul knew it. His life was a mess at one time. Jesus completely changed his life. And he starts using language all throughout the New Testament of run the race with perseverance. Keep your eyes fixed on the prize, right? Live with an eternal perspective. He would say over and over and over these things of we, trusting and believing. I serve a God that's holding all things together. We're made by Him and for Him. Verse 18 and then 19, it says, this is huge for us to understand. And He is the head of the body, the church. This is so key because we get mixed up with this here down here on earth. Uh, I'm not the head of the church. The governing board's not the head of the church. 
The CMA movement's not the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. Uh, No man-made leader is the head of the church. What this makes very, very clear is Jesus is the head of the church. All authority has been given to him. We look to him for guidance. We look to him for what's next. We look to him for wisdom. And we say, Jesus, what would you have us do in your church? Because after all, you are the head. You're our boss, right? You're the leader. You are the one that, 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 we, that we look to. And I'll mention this as well. Anybody that's in spiritual leadership, I would, let's throw out spiritual Anybody that's in leadership anywhere, uh, they have to understand before they ever will be good at being in authority, that they are underneath the authority of Jesus Christ. And when we get that mixed up, you may be the boss at your work. That's great. You may be the top person wherever you're at. But if you forget to understand that you are underneath authority of Jesus, uh, it'll lead to some pretty dark places. And that's why we'll fight tooth and nail around here to constantly remind ourselves of that. Because uh, leadership and like being up front, it's intoxicating at times. And it can lead us down a path that we don't want to be. So, man, if we want to be in spiritual leadership, if you're leading, and I would argue all of you are leading somewhere, you're leading someone, you have influence over someone, remind yourself often, Jesus is the head. He's the one we look to. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that everything in him, uh, that he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness in him. He's Lord over all. He's supreme over all. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And he wants to be first in your life. And when we think about what Paul just opened the floodgates of who Jesus is and what he's about, anything less than first place in your life, it's just mind-blowing why we would ever choose that. Because Paul paints an incredible picture about who Jesus is. I want to close with just the end of this passage and we're done. And we're going to sing unto God. Colossians 1, 19-23 For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile. What's that mean? To reestablish the relationship. We blew it. Man blew it. We chose sin instead of God. But God saw fit to keep chasing us. We just sang about it a little bit ago. He saw fit to keep chasing us and reconciled us back to Him so that we can be in right standing with the Father. And it's an incredible gift. He made a way for us. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. And listen to your spiritual condition before you came to Jesus. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Paul's saying our father in heaven, we we tried everything possible. He's done everything possible for you to be in right standing with him. What a gift. I hope we see the power of that gift. This is the gospel that you heard and it has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Why has Paul just come out of the gates being all Jesus to this church? Because he knew some rough patches were going to come. And if they put Jesus in his proper place, when that rough patch, when that storm, they won't go chase after these other things. They will say, steadfast in Jesus alone. And Paul said, it's going to happen. 
Tough times are going to come. You're going to be weary of this whole Jesus thing in that moment. Be strong in the Lord. Jesus is good. Why? Because the gospel gives you life. The gospel's giving you hope, Church of Colossae, Centerville Community Church. The gospel's our opportunity to be reconciled back to the Father. So as you sing, as you leave this place, as you read your Bible this week, I don't know what image I mentioned earlier comes to your mind when you think of God. But let me tell you what Paul tells us the image should be. Jesus is the one and only. Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The one for which all things were created in the visible and invisible realm. The preeminent, the supreme, all sufficient. He says, Jesus is the one that gave his life for you. Colossians 1 is just packed. I hope you go study it long past this little 30 minutes. Go read chapter 2 for next week and see what God may say to you through his living, breathing word. Let me pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Paul so eloquently helping us understand the Father through Jesus. Father, thank you that not only have we been created by him, but we're created for him. That gives me hope. That gives all of us hope and a purpose and a future, something to live for. And God, as we interact with people on a daily basis, it it reminds us all that we're cared for, that we're loved, that God longs to be in a relationship with us. God, help us to embody that. Father, I pray that this worship in the next few moments will be honoring unto you as though we have a picture of the living God like we've never had before. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.